everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of the podcast. This time, producer Hank Shockley enters the vibe chamber. But as usual, before that, I want to let you guys all know that this is a video podcast as well. The show is streamed live to YouTube right as it's happening. So if you want to see full archived episodes, clips from the show, or you want to see when I'm going to be live next, you can check out the vibe chamber on youtube.com. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hank Shockley! <laughs> How's it going? I'm good, Scott. How are you, man? I'm really, really good. Uh, I just got... Uh, it's the end of my school week, so now I get to really enjoy doing this. Because sometimes I do these shows in the middle of the, the, the school week, especially now going out of midterms into finals. And I'm, I'm all, you know, kind of jacked up for that. But now I actually get to enjoy it and enjoy the weekend. I have that to look forward to me. Um, good. How you been? Where are you coming to us from right now? Uh, coming from to you from New York, uh, Long Island, New York, to be exactly. How and, far uh, out? How far out of the city are you? Um, I'm about like 40, 40, 50, 50, more like an hour out. Mm. Have you come into the city lately at all? Yeah, I've 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 came in yesterday to be exact. <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> yeah. Are you? Is that like a regular thing? Are you coming in a lot even since COVID? Yeah, I I, I spend all my time in the city. Oh really. Yeah, that's that's why I like to spend the time out in Long Island because it gives me a break, a distance from it. Yeah, that's kind of why. I mean, I'm still trust me, I'm still in the city, but I'm I'm out in Brooklyn and Bed Stuy, where at least it's like the buildings are a little shorter, so it's not like yeah. you have that like engulfed feeling from New York, which is you know great, and it's especially coming from you know a musician standpoint, it's motivating to have all those that energy around. But it's nice to come out here and where it's. Uh, just a, a not total, not suburban at all. It's still very much a city, but you know, it's a little bit more like a town instead of just that like massive right. industry, which Manhattan is. Um, yeah, I yeah, call so, I call Manhattan the fishbowl. The fishbowl. <laughs> it is. You know what? It, it's it. It is. It's kind of like Disney World almost. If you yeah. ever go down to Florida and you're like, "Wow, this this is crazy. This whole area must be like this." Then you go right outside of it. It's completely different. That's right. That's right. That's, that's kind of what New York's like. But uh, have you have you always been from from Long Island? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I've lived most of my life, you know, in Long Island, um, except for uh, you know a brief stint in Los Angeles. Um, mm. But um, yeah, pretty much spent most of my time here. I like New York, you know. You're, you're a New Yorker at heart. Yeah, I think so. I, I think at this particular point in time, I am. You know, because uh, it, it, you know so much has happened here so much is you know it's like the pulse of everything is is right here you Absolutely. know and uh, and you're kind of like in between the time zones you know mm-hmm. between you're like in between the the uh london time and los and the west coast time mm-hmm. so you, you're kind of like right dab in the middle it's a nice place to be i kind of like the thing i like about new york over uh, i know i haven't been to a bunch of cities but just the, the vibe i have from living here for the last few years is that it seems like if you a lot of live stuff is done here in terms of, I mean, just the, the live entertainment industry is huge here, but also like there's a lot of, you know, live news broadcasts. It seems like everything's in the moment as opposed to a lot of other cities where they're doing, you know, massively big productions, but it's like, you know, movies and TV that you're not going to see, you know, for months from oh, man, the time yeah. that they shoot it. Well, that's that, that's the one good thing about New York, you know, and, and, it, and it used to be a very vibrant music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of like, you know, kinda, over the years, it kind of like gotten a little subdued, but uh, 
it's been a big music haven, you know, yeah. for everybody, every act in the world. You know, if you didn't come through New York, you didn't you didn't kind of make it, you know. And how long were you in L.A.? Uh, I would say for about maybe seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. From from um, 91, from 91 around to 97. And what, what were your thoughts 98? on it? What were your thoughts on it coming from New York? Was it a big culture shock? And did you did you like it very much? When you were no, there? I thought I thought it was it was it was cool. It was it, it just reminded me of being in Long Island. Mm. You know, it wasn't that much of a difference. You know, in terms of uh, in terms of being there, I just I, I the thing that was a little bit weird for me was the the lag in the time zone, which mm-hmm. was every everything was a little late to me. Yeah, because you're used to all the Eastern Standard Time. Exactly, and 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 also the 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 everyone's pretty laid back there, mm-hmm. and so I'm used to I'm used to people rushing for no reason. <laughs> I'm used, to, yeah, I, I know that's like the whole New York vibe is. Um, I know, especially like seeing people who don't who aren't from here come here, they're always shocked by how everyone is just kind of like bumping into each other and yelling at each other, and everyone's always like rushing everywhere. Which it is. It's a it's a whole different kind of animal in terms of the the culture of how people act here. Yeah, and and but you know something, for, you know for the, you know just, you know, for the music side of it, it's still a place where if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. So and Frank I know that's right. a, that's like an old saying, you know that that's been cliche uh, for a minute, but it it holds true. It's mm-hmm. like if if you make it in New York, then, then the world is yours. Yeah, because it's the toughest place. It's the toughest place on the planet to to make it in. Is that how you is that how you saw it? Like when you were getting into the industry, when you were like young, is that kind of the vibe that you felt from New York? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I mean, I started out so long ago, but the uh, the thing was, I started as a DJ, so mm-hmm. I was a member of all a lot of different record pools that they had back then. And back then, you had record pools. That's how you got you know promotion copies for for music. And um, and that, you know, that was cool because now you get a chance to be with all the DJs from in the clubs that was in Manhattan and Jersey, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Staten Island, Brooklyn and um, uh, Bronx, Brooklyn. Um, So that that was that was an experience, you know, so just to be able to be amongst your peers or the people that you want to be around. And yeah. and me, you know, and and Chuck at the time, Chuck, me and Chuck was 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 partners up with our DJ outfit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would come into the city, and uh, and get records and stuff, and buy records and everything else. And, and how, so, how old were you when that started? When you started working as a DJ? Oh man, I started in my teens. Man, mm-hmm. I had to be like you know seventeen, sixteen, seventeen. And how long into that did you start Spectrum City? Well, I started right after it. I'll say when I was about eighteen. Okay, so that was that was fresh into your career as a DJ. Exactly, and 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 it's funny because before I even made records, you know, I I was already plugged into the wide into the scene, so mm-hmm. I kind of like knew a lot of the DJs and stuff. You know, a lot of you know a lot of you know very famous you know DJs like the you know the the uh, John Morales and Jellybean Benitez and. Mm-hmm. Cats like that were, you know, were huge in the DJ scene. And that got me to understand a lot about the record industry because mm-hmm. I learned a lot from uh, from understanding the independent record companies at the time, whether it be Tommy Boy Records, uh, Next Plateau Records, Select Records, 
All of these were independent record companies that were putting out rap records. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arthur Baker's uh, Streetwise Records. Um, and, and, and so I was getting a lot of promo copies from all of these different record companies along with the, the majors. And all the majors were in the city. Mm. So just like it is now. Yeah. Um, so, so I was getting promo- promotional copies from all different record companies so i i have my fingers on the pulse on whatever came out at any given time so so i would i would have i would have these records well before they even got to radio mm-hmm. and you were and you were djing with a, a whole like smattering of of rappers at the time right like spectrum city was kind of it was like a, a rotating group of people that would come in and you dj with right exactly it was like a collective if you want to call it that you know and- i i you know I, I kind of like uh, it, it, it's funny. It's not it, we're mostly DJs or or record selectors, if you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, by being there, we kind of like brought on other rappers, you know, and things of that neighborhood that that was from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Chuck was one of them. Of course, I met when I met Chuck was through that as well. And so the whole public enemy was based in, in, and created from the Spectrum City uh, DJ outfit, so to speak. And how did it get get narrowed down specifically? Because you put out the track Lies in 84. And how did it get, out of all those people, how did it get narrowed down to Chuck D and Butch Cassidy for that, for that track? Well, well, Butch, Chuck and Butch was, was, was the two primary uh, MCs that was on the radio station that we was doing, which was WBAU mm-hmm. out in Long Island. Um, out of, it was out of Adelphi University. Um, so... It, it, I guess at the time we didn't have it, we didn't have any like name for the group or anything. So we just said, you know, we wanted to put out a record because we saw a lot of uh, artists that was putting out records like Grandmaster Flash and and um, Treacherous Three and, uh, you know, the, the Disco Four. I mean, uh, uh, D, uh, Grandmaster D, DXT, mm-hmm. uh, Fab Five Freddy. I can go on for days. And these were all the, the tradition of the Cold Crush Brothers. These were all, all artists that was, that was making records independently. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, quite naturally, you know, as, as playing a lot of those records and breaking a lot of those records in Long Island, I, we wanted to kind of like make, see if we can try our hand at making a record ourselves. And then you came so, out. So, well, Sorry, well, we, we went to we, we, we first got signed to a, 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 a independent label called Vanguard Records mm-hmm. and and a, and a well-known DJ by the name of Pinky Velasquez uh, produced the first record and he produced it as as a, almost like an electro record. If you're very familiar with the uh, uh, the uh, Egypt, Egypt record uh, uh, that that um, that was um Damn, I'm, I'm forgetting names. Egyptian Lover, Egyptian okay. Lover put out. I'm and, vaguely uh, familiar, but not too not too over. I know, but 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 if you rap started when rap started, it, it was it was more electro bass mm-hmm. than it was than it was the slower, funkier hip hop records. And so a lot of the groups were putting out records in that, and and that was coincided with the freestyle movement. Mm. And so the free, if you, if you're familiar with, if you go back and do research on the freestyle movement, the freestyle movement was basically, you know, it, it, it took off from the planet rock record Mm -hmm. and that drum and that, and that, uh, that, that particular record was basically a, 
uh, uh, inspired by Kraftwerk's Trans Europe Express. Mm. And and lo and behold, people didn't know that that was a big b-boy record. You know, we called it b-boy in back in the days, and 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 that was a that was a, a classic for a lot of the rappers that 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 wanted to kind of like rhyme and stuff. Mm. And so, so that so those records are so the, the producer that we that we was with he was from that that genre that era, and so he produced you the record. You weren't you weren't producing at the time. You were just DJing. No, I didn't produce the record, you know, and and that that's what led me to 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 realize that that I didn't like the production because he spent a lot of time making that record, and then when the final results came out, I wasn't happy with it because I thought that that record represented to me what was something that was happening a while back that I thought was now starting to 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 run its course. Mm. So I wanted to do something a little bit more street heavy. So so with with a little bit of time, I got a chance to produce the the B side of that record. Was that check out the radio? Any attention, check out the radio, correct. And so and so from that from that point, it it got it it just got me to the to to understanding like the the production process. And and the reason why I got into it is because I never wanted to be a producer. That wasn't a thing that I didn't like, I didn't go out to to set out to be a producer, you know. Uh, but I just saw that when I was in the studio, there was a bunch of things that I would have done differently that I, that I saw that was, that was being handled. And so then I decided, I said, you know what, I, why don't I just step in and do, and do the production because I could, I couldn't afford to produce, to, to, to get real quote unquote, real producers, uh, (laughs) to produce the record, uh, and, and so I took a demo, me and Chuck took a demo to Russell Simmons and we wanted him to produce the record with that. And, and because he was producing the Curtis Blow records, he was producing the Run DMC records. And he suggested that we go to uh, his, his, his new partner at the time, Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Rick at the time, you know, when I listened to the record that Rick did, which was, uh, um, I can't, uh, was, um, you're going to, you, uh, you, uh, gosh, I can't think of the title of the record. Um, it's, uh, it's yours by okay. T. Rock. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so if you go up and, 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 and check out that record, you will, you will see it. T. Rock record. It's called it's yours. Rick Rube produced by Rick Rubin. Now that record was very similar to the records that to the demos we were making on WBAU when we put out records. So we, we didn't we didn't have, you know, there wasn't a lot of rap records at the time to fill up a whole show. So what so what so what we would do was I would go in and, and bring in local guys from the from the neighborhood that would just rap on these rap, rap on the beats. And I would have a drum machine. I started out, we started out, me and my brother Keith, we started out on using the um, the uh, Roland CR uh, eight thousand, mm-hmm. and 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 you could probably you you could see it on eBay now. It goes for about, I think it goes for about uh, you know a couple of grand, fifteen hundred to a two thousand dollars now. But the um, but that particular drum machine had a had a preset amounts of beats. It had a lot of presets on it, and it also had uh, an area where you can program your own beats, but you had to program it in step in step fashion. 
So in other words, you couldn't hear what it was that you was programming. You just was you just would press buttons and then hope to get something that was kind of remotely usable. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, and so we would and so we would put the, play the beat and then have the rappers rap and then when the choruses come in, we would scratch something from a record and basically we'll look for a, a horn hit or a brass sound, something that that will give it that 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 extra that extra high frequency area that, that we was looking for. And we were scratching the choruses. And, and we made a lot of demos like that. And when Russell, when Russell uh, told me and Chuck that, yo, he wanted Rick Rubin to produce the record, and I went in and, 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 and saw what he was doing, I said, wait a minute, I could do that. We're, we're doing that kind of stuff already. You know, and so that's that's when we, you know, when Rick decided that he wanted to, we we produced this demo called uh, Public Enemy Number One, mm-hmm. and and that particular record was not particular record. That particular demo was the most requested record on the radio station. So that's so so for for me, using the radio station was was kind of like a form of testing out what the public would want to hear before you get a chance to put it out. Mm. And so that that showed me that there's always something that you can do when 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 you're trying to figure out like what you want to do with, with what you want to put out or whether or not you have a track and you have a record and you have something in mind and you don't know how the public is going to is going to accept it. It's always good to test it in 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 a club environment or tested in a in some way or or a radio station somewhere where you can where you can broadcast to a group of people so that you can get feedback mm-hmm. and and so we got feedback from that record and and that record was 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 huge in terms of the feedback that we got it caught the attention of Rick anyway and Rick decided that he wanted to sign you know Chuck to to uh, a 12 inch deal so this must have been right after Rick started Def Jam, right? Exactly. Matter of fact, he was still at in the dorms at at NYU, right down the street from from New School. Exactly. Exactly. And are you because back on the check out the record, uh, check out the radio record, uh, you and Keith are are both listed by your birth name, and I wanted to ask because if you go, I haven't, I don't have an actual physical copy, um, right? But I wanted to ask who, when did it be? come going as publicly as Shockley and which one of you initiated that? Well, well, it's funny because it, 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 it came from a, a, a thing where me and Chuck would, would always say that, you know, that I, I'm, I was the, I'm the president because I was the, I was the leader of everything. All right. And, and, and so Shockley just came from something that we thought was, was, would sound kind of good on the radio. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't like, I didn't like my government name being, 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 you know, being put out there. So I, I, since, since I've always went with Hank as, as my first name, which is actually my middle name, which is actually a nickname from my middle name. I, 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 I decided to use the Shockley as the, as the, as the, uh, as a, you know, as a moniker, so to speak, just, just something that, that had a little bit more flair and it sounded kind of, kind of interesting across on the radio when you, when you say it and keith was just down to do it himself too. and keith was yeah keith was my brother so yeah there so you, you go. kind of for you kind of you, you kind of pushed him into it but he was fine with it exactly exactly and so the the first public enemy number one the demo comes out See, then after that how long after that is it that rick rubin wants to sign you like days weeks months 
what, you know, something's hard to tell because we was going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that that we didn't want to do was we never wanted to sign to a major record company or any kind of record company. Because I, I worked with, I, I was I was already at the time throwing events. I was a promoter. So as I was throwing events, I was already hiring artists to come play for my events. And I heard all the horror stories about their record companies and all the stuff that was going on. And I said, well, why would we want to sign to these record companies when I'm pretty much a promoter and I'm nobody at the, I'm nobody and I'm bringing in big name artists. You know, we brought in the Fat Boys, we brought in, uh, we, we brought in the, uh, you know, Treacherous Three, the uh, Fearless Four, all of these guys that we brought in, Grandmaster, Flash, we brought, uh, we brought in MC Shan, we did Stetsasonic. I mean, we, we would bring all of these artists and, and, and basically, you know, we're paying them to, to play for us. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so, so, I, so what I was saying, I, I, you know, I was saying like, well, why would I want to, why would we want to record for, for labels? So it took, took like a year and a half, you know, before we decided to, to go ahead when, when uh, 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 one of the, our friend at the time, which was Bill Stephanie, who the one that gave us the, the get that started us on the sh- on the radio show at WBAU, it became the promotion, became the promotion ma- promotion uh, uh, director for Def Jam Records. And, and how then, do, how do they convince you so early on, though? Because it's it's not like they have they're just starting. How do they show you that they're going to make their their worth? You know, make it worth it for you. Well, 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 that that was the whole key because it, it was Bill Stephanie the one that convinced us because because he when he started working for them that he convinced us he convinced me that that the that Def Jam was legit. In other words, like like they were they were they were the the most fairest company that you can work with. And at the time, they had just released the uh, the uh, LL Cool J album that did well through through the through Columbia Records that was a subsidiary of Sony and so that album did very well for for LL and and um and so we decided that okay well we'll try this and they only signed us for a 12 inch record and was that oh wait so that wasn't was that yo bum that rush? was that was public enemy number 1 oh that was that was public enemy 1 okay gotcha correct yeah, so that was the that was the, the the deal that we had, but because of the fact that you know I I've already had my own studio and everything, is that we produced seven seven tracks off of the off of the the off of the the contract that they gave us for one record. Mm. So once once I once we delivered seven tracks, they were like, well, sh- why don't we just roll this into an album? And so that's thus when the concept of public enemy became is because it it was it was always modeled after it was more modeled after rock and roll than it was R&B. And so that's what around like 1986, 1987, 1986. Correct. Yeah. The record record was released in 1987. So those those seven tracks are what would become Bum Rush the Show? Yes. Gotcha. And so between that, that comes out in 87 uh, right. and then a nation of millions comes out in 88. What is it that Correct. happens during those like 15 or 16 months? And how much do you feel during that time that the group sound 
you know, kind of morphed and changed? Well, you know, it, it, it's the, the first thing is, is that when I when we was in the studio, the one thing I never wanted to do was I never wanted to have a lag time between records. And and the reason that that record was actually made a year before was actually made in 86, but it wasn't released until 87. And so at that time, there was a whole year that the record was released. And if you and, and at the time, the rap business was all a 12 inch business. So so it being a 12 inch business, that what does that mean? That means that guys can put out can make a record today. And in, 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 in less than six weeks, the records on the streets. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is in the rap world, a whole year is, is a, it's like a it's like a decade. So 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 what happens is the sound changes, the, the, the language changes, everything changes now. So I so we've always felt that that record, the first record was even though that it was a it was a we thought it was a, a good attempt by us, but it wasn't it, it didn't represent what we were really about and what we were really going for because we've done it really, really quick with no, with no budget. Mm-hmm. And do you ever go back and listen to those records? And I know you say that it's not your, what at the time you thought you wanted your sound to be, or it didn't represent you. Do you ever go back now and listen to them and see if you still agree with that? Or maybe you, is there some stuff off that first record oh God, that you do I, like? You know something because, because I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. I, I still cringe at, at it because I and, 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 and here's and here's why it's because I'm, you always think that when you listen, when you're listening to your, your music, you're always thinking that you could do something better. You know, it's like you, ne- you, you never, you know, it, it, I look at it this way. When you're making a record, you never finish a record. You surrender. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Exactly. So, so what happens is, so, so you're, 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 you're working on this thing and it's never coming. It's you, you never can get it right. And then you just got to quit because you got to get, you have to make your deadline. Mm -hmm. And so that, that always leaves you with like, there's some, there's always something that you wanted to do that you never got a chance to do. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, and so when you listen, when I listen back to those records, I always hear the things that could have been done, not Mm -hmm. what's there. It's just, it's just lo and behold that the techniques that we used were, 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 were ahead of what everybody else was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and keep in mind that the techniques that, we, that we've done on those records and, 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 and what we've done on those records were very similar to the stuff that you're hearing today. So all the techniques that you, that you, that you, that you, that you that you look at today as being like a staple, like you know, cutting up a sample, chopping it, so to speak, uh, filtering the sounds. All of those things were stuff that that we we kind of like had to invent mm-hmm. because none of that stuff existed at the time. Every because because if you understand at that time when you went into the studio, you 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 went in the studio with a band, so to speak, or a bunch of musicians. And a drum machine, and that's how you pretty much made your record. All right, we didn't do it that way. We went into the studio with just a bunch of records, and so thus everybody in the studio had to be taught how to deal with us because we didn't come in with the traditional. We didn't come in with a traditional. Okay, well here's the drum machine, here's the drum beat, here's the synth, 
here's the here's the key there's the, the bass lines on the synth and then here's and then maybe some scratches will be thrown in there or maybe you get a guitar player that comes in and play and then you and then you loop that you loop that for for eight bars or whatever the case may be we didn't we didn't come in like that we okay. came in with a bunch of records and taking little bits of samples from each of these records to make up a record and did you have any idea going in like, oh, I like this record. There's this particular part. I will probably end up using that once I'm in the studio. And and are, are Chuck and Flavor Flav, are they like, are they coming up with stuff before you guys have even started producing? Is there any like, I mean, saying like a, a pre-recording meeting makes it sound, you know, too fancy and commercial. But was there any thought before going into the studio of what you might be going towards? Well, keep in mind that, you know, you know, I have I have a lot of records like mm -hmm thousands of records <laughs> and 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 all genres and all different all different flavors like like i had a spoken word section that was like a hundred records of just Jeez. spoken word so 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 if james baldwin had an album i had i had his album of just him speaking poetry and that goes on for malcolm x langston hughes you know you name it booker t uh washington uh, uh, w. E. B. Du Bois, uh, John John F. Kennedy. I've had all. I got all of these records, and and along with I got funk records galore. I got uh, rap records galore. So I have a I have a real good library of sounds and and collections of stuff. Reggae records, soca records, all kinds of stuff. So was there, so was there a particular so, genre that you were mostly going to when you're in the studio? I no, I don't. I don't because I don't look at music in terms of genre. I just look at it in terms of style. Mm -hmm. So, so I've never, I've never, I've never been like tribal in that sense to the point where I only listen to rap or I only listen to funk or soul records or R and B or you know. No, I, I, I when I, I manage the heavy metal record store, so I, so I know, I know heavy metal just as, just as much as I know R and B and funk. When did you do that? So, I did that before I before I made a record, you oh. know, right? You know, so 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 me managing the heavy metal store taught me to understand what about Megadeth, Quiet Riot, you know, Poison. I can go, you know, you know, Kiss. We can go on uh, uh, Black Sabbath. You know, it, you go the, the the list goes on. And 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 I've always collected a, a lot of different records, you know, whether it be jazz records. I have an extensive jazz collection as well. So so records and sound. So when I look at records, I never look at records like 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 people will look at records as a as a as a as a tune. I don't look at I look at a record as a collections of sounds and different sounds that 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 can give you different kinds of feelings. Mm -hmm. So when I listen to music, I, I see I see the visual in the music. So that's how I pick samples. So I have to see, like, for example, it depends on what is the emotion that you're trying to get from this particular record. If it's anger, now I'm going to go after all the sounds that I think that associated with anger. Gotcha. You know, if you know, and, and so and and then we just then you just put them up on the board and try to see which ones work together which parts work together and which parts doesn't. And are you, are you just kind of like, do you have a, a particular thought about the kind of stuff you're doing in terms of you're saying that you, you know, you, you're kind of 
in, you know, in pioneering the wheel in terms of, you know, filtering and sampling while you're doing that, are you thinking like, Oh man, we're doing the next big thing. Are you just kind of going like, eh, we're not totally sure because you know, we, there's no real evidence as to whether or not this will work because it's brand new. Exactly. And that, and, and it's, it's, it's the latter. It's, it's because, because I never go into a studio thinking that anything is good because the first thing I do is when, when I'm in the studio, I'm listening with a hater's head. Because I want, I wanna, I wanna listen from the perspective of this is pure shit, and if I and if I and if I go in with thinking that it's pure shit, now I have to convince myself that it's not. Mm-hmm. And so now, if 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 I can, if I can, because I'm my worst, my my own worst critic. If I can convince myself that this this is worth something, then I know at least it has a shot out there. Now I don't know for sure whether it's going to work or not. I just know that it's going to have a shot. Yeah, and, and you do your best. You do, and you just do your best to to be able to put the things together to how you see it as tight as possible, so that it doesn't have any holes in it. Mm-hmm. And you're you're your heart your your own harshest critic. But has there ever been a time where someone maybe reviewed a record you worked on, and you know, against all your better judgment, it kind of made you? sort of rethink maybe I should or shouldn't be doing certain things? Um, no, because I think that you have to look at criticism like, like, like they say, like they say buttholes. <laughs> Everybody has one. Was it and they all stink I, I or really, something like that? Half of them Exactly, stink? exactly. I, I never really care about, I don't really care about like what people think because like even if you love it, if you think it's the greatest thing in the world, I'm like, yeah, okay. And if you think it's the worst piece of shit in the world, I'm like, yeah, okay, because because I I never want to get emotionally attached to it, mm-hmm. because I think that once you become emotionally attached to your music, you lose your point of objectivity, and so now you become you become sucked into something you, something that you you know that you you feel passionate about that other people might not feel as passionate about, and then you're gonna you're gonna look you're gonna take that and, and bring it inward. And think that there's something wrong with you now. Mm. I don't think that. I think that your your work and you are two separate things. And how do you keep yourself being that ob- objective? Just trying to look at it like it's shit. Is that your your main you know tactic to keep yourself from being too subjective about it? Well, I, I, I'm 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 harsh on everything, a lot of things, you know. But but at the same time, I can also see the. Uh, the the how would you say the the I I can see the inspiration and where you're trying to go when you're trying to make something. Mm-hmm. So I don't I would never I would never uh, how would you say uh, I would never criticize the development of something because I think that that's that, that's when you you kill you kill the inspiration when you do that. So you have to allow you have to allow that that kernel of of creativity to kind of like gestate itself so that, so that it gets to it, so that it, it can, it becomes something, then you can look at it objectively, but you mm-hmm. can't, you can't criticize that process while it's, while it's developing. You just got to let it flow. Right. And, you know, talking about you're making things purely from just, I want this sound. I want, you know, it's, it's only coming from a, a place of creativity. It kind of leads into a question we got from in the comments from Mr. Orange Bananas, uh, an old student of yours and a, <laughs> a fantastic friend of mine. He's over in Croatia right now. First of all, he says, Hank, you're the best teacher I've ever had. So I, I've, wow. I've 
So, but, but he followed that up with a question saying, have you ever made a record that had a heavy accent on making money? I think he means like, was there an emphasis on thinking like, ooh, we're going to, if we do this, we're going to make a, 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 sell a bunch of records. Well, I don't, I've never looked at making money as the, as, as a thing. And and the, and the reason why I, I never look at it as a thing is because make money is a result of something. It's the result of of the hard work that you've put into something. So so I so so to me, it's all about putting in the work. If you put in the work, and and you make something as best as you think it should be, under the time constraints, that's the be- that's all you can do. Now you have to leave the rest up to the universe. Mm-hmm. The universe is either going to accept it or reject it. And it's been my experience that the universe usually accepts it as long as you've been true to the process. As long as you put your, your, your energy into it and you've done the best job you can do, people's going to see that. No matter how, no matter what your shortcomings are. You sound, that sounds kind of like a, a spiritual way to look at it. Are you a pretty spiritual person? Well, you, you have to understand something. You, if you're making music, you have to be connected to the spiritual realm mm. because you're not creating any, you're not making anything physical. You're, you're playing with the ether. So yeah, you're with playing emotion. with people's emotions and everything. So you are spiritual magi- musicians or mm. magicians at the same time. <laughs> so you, so you, 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 have to, you have to respect that. And, and, and I'm, a, I'm a firm believer of it is, is, is people are attracted to authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're authentic and every part of the process that you do is authentic, then that, then, then that work is going to find a home mm-hmm. because people are always looking for something that's authentic. Yeah, and so the, the thing I struggle with is, is sort of how do I... M- match that thing of trying to do exactly what I want to do in terms of like say if I'm if I'm writing a song or producing a song the thing I struggle with is how do I make something that's real to me and kind of separate myself from the you know theoretical knowledge in my head because there are times where I write something and I think that this is emotionally you know it's strong I feel it but at the same time there's this like part in the back of my head that goes you know, that's very basic. And I have to kind of like talk myself out of that thing, you know, just related to what you said. It's, I, it, it's hard to focus sometimes on just being spiritual and just trying to make what's emotionally the strongest, especially the more experience you get writing music, because then you start to doubt yourself in terms of what you're doing. And you start to go away from just the pure feeling of the music, which is what everyone who's going to listen is what they're listening for. And, and that's only natural. You know, you, you, you know, you, you, everyone has doubts. We all have doubts. None of us, are, you know, we're not, we're not perfect beings, but the thing that you also, you have to understand is that you can't look at the, at the, at the stuff and take it too seriously. You, you and you can't take yourself that seriously at all, because I, I find that a, a, a lot of issues start to happen when people don't, they don't, they don't use a, a, an outside source. To, mm-hmm. to, 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 as a template, for example, I had records so I can listen to the greatest records of all time and compare my works against. So if you're not comparing yourself, your, your works against stuff that's already been proven, then what's your barometer? So how are you judging what is good and what is not good? 
then it just becomes a pure selfish ego thing where, oh, I did it, so I think it's dope. Well, if you're not testing it against something and seeing how it holds up, then 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 you're not gonna you're not gonna have what is known as I, I call it that that standard. Mm-hmm. You what you want, you want to have that standard, and the standard is always going to be stuff that's already been out there. And I don't care whether that stuff is good or whether it's bad, whether you think it's good or bad. I think that I think that you have to you have to get away from the fact of thinking that that your music is good and that other music sucks or your music sucks and that other music's good. You have to get you have to abandon that that that's that style of thinking. You have to look at the components and what what those what's what's speaking to you from this song that your record may or may not be speaking to uh, may not speaking to if that makes sense did you guys ever like the two you know main groups of public enemy did you guys hold each other's to sort of like an objective standard you know being like the bomb squad and then you know chuck and flavor flavor were there any times where say you guys were doing something production wise that they disagreed with or they didn't think was up to that standard or vice versa they were they were saying things and you weren't totally 100 percent on on their lyrical content or did you guys kind of stay out of each other's way no well no because that's a that's a very good question but here's 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 how i can how i can attempt to answer that the 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 process to me is i'm the hardest critic not only just of myself to everybody around me so i'm holding everybody to a higher level of, of 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 stuff that they don't even know that they can get reach and so and and once again I'm comparing everything that I do to what I consider to be classic material. So for example, let's say if I think Prince's record, When Doves Cry, is probably the best record you know, made, right? Well, I'm gonna hold my record up against that record and see how it fares. And if it, do- if it, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't meet that record, then, then to me, we fell short. How does and, and 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 holding everybody accountable to that higher le- level of understanding raises the pla- raises the bar for everyone. How do you hold yourself up to a uh, a standard of a record like that when you're making you know you're making a heavy hip hop record, which I don't know if I'd really describe that you know Prince's album like that. How do you hold those two types of music up to the same standard, even though they're you know technically totally different? What are you listening for to do that? Well, well, oh, that, that's a that's another great question. The what you want to listen to is the feeling that you get. So it's not necessarily you can't look at you. You, you know, you, you, music is not a, a mechanical process, even though that mechanics play a part in the process. It's the feeling that you get is what resonates to other human beings. So, so I want to. So if so, if my record, it, it doesn't matter what that record is. I can make a hip hop record, and I can I can I can compare it to to a Megadeth record, because because what am I comparing? I'm comparing the 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 vibration of what Megadeth record gives me, and I'm comparing the same vibration of what I'm getting from this hip hop record. And if I don't get the same energy level, then I could then I could sit there and say it fell short. Because the one thing that the public can always d- determine, they can determine energy. They can't determine the mechanics. They don't. They don't know whether the the bass is too big or too or too loud or the or the or the 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 uh, the, the the rhythm is not 
quite correct or the or the rappers not quite in time or the you know, the vocals are not quite in key they can't determine any of those things you know per se mm-hmm. but what they can determine is how the whole thing works together and the energy of that whole thing mm-hmm. and does that energy make sense and, and once I- it makes sense you that's you know that you're in the ballpark and on that topic of of you know making music you know feel right and, and make sense so in 1990 the bomb squad produces ice cubes first first record after nwa um which is america america kkk's most wanted uh with delench mob so how did first of all how did that come about and also how did you make your sound the bomb squad sound kind of fit more to him was there a big adjustment with that were you trying to make it suit him more uh or was it just kind of what came naturally or were you kind of doing it approaching it the same way that you were when you produced Republic Enemy? Well, the, the, the first thing that when Cube came, came over to, to us, uh, he met us at Green Street Studios. And, um, and he said that I wanted you to produce, he wanted us to produce the record. And for me, and I said to him, I said, well, wait a minute, you're already with Dre and everybody. Why, why are you coming here? Is that and, and he had specific reason for coming here. He wanted he wanted uh, to have a sound that was separated from what he was doing before. He wanted a more New York sound. Uh, I don't know if he wanted New York sound or he wanted the East West Coast sound. He just wanted something that was that was his own identity. Mm-hmm. The one thing that 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 I've always b- was big on is I never make records a duplicate of the last record. So, for example, if I'm going to work with you, I'm going to work with you in 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 the strength and or, and in the environment that you're in, and I want to make the best record in your environment, and not not me give you a, a for example a cookie cookie cutter. It's mm-hmm. like okay, here here's the stamp, and and all you have to do is get on that stamp, and you're going to be a clone of whatever that stamp is. Were That's guys, not me. Were you guys I, hesitant at all to go? you know, to kind of take a break from Public Enemy to work on that record? No, it was it was working on that record in the middle of working on tons of records. Gotcha. Because, 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 because the Bomb Squad, the reason why there was the Bomb Squad, which was Eric, Sadler, Keith, me, Terminator, Chuck, um, and even Flav at, at, at moments, all right? And, and, the, and the reason for that being is because we was working on multiple projects at mm. once. We would never work on just one project. So, so, so we have a lot of progress. I, I used to have, I, I would have two studios running back to back 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so when you're looking at that, everything is all based upon uh, Taylor making a sound like a tailor would make a custom suit for you. So I so I don't believe in, so whether it was, whether it be Belbiv DeVoe, for example, who was the three, who was the three background singers that got no lead sons, no lead, uh, 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 how would you say, shine from New Edition. No spotlight. Right? right, no spotlight whatsoever. They were just background singers, all right? So now, what can we do to take that group and give it its own identity that's going to be a separate and apart from New Edition, but something that's unique for themselves? So the same thing happens with, with Ice Cube. So the first thing that I do is I as I as I I I, I get I let I let Ice Cube in my room, my record room, and have him pick out all the records that he loves. 
from it. So he, so he, so he's there for a week, just just listening to records, picking out records, and 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 putting together. Why why did I do that? Because that right there is, is the embryo for me understanding who he is and what he's and what he's all about. Was there any hesitation with all that sampling? You're letting him just freely pick the records, just purely on a legal thing. Did you ever have to worry about that, or did the label always take care? Did you have to like make any notes of specifically what samples you were using, so that way the label could go and license them later? Well, yeah. Well, I, I, that's the one thing that I've that I've done. I I started I cl- I started the what I consider to be the first sample clearance department, and 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 it was it was a gentleman by the name of Mike uh, Michael Kloster who who was who was at the time working for me at Soul Records. Um, and, and, and I had him clear all my samples. Now I was clearing samples before people was clearing samples because I saw, I saw what was coming down the pipe when I saw a lot of artists that was just taking a loop and running it for, for, for the whole record. And I said, wait a minute, there's going to be a legal precedent. That's going to, that's going to change all that in a minute. So I cleared all my, all, all my, all my samples that, that, that we used. And, 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 and so in doing so, that that gave me the, the 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 leverage to be able to do the things that we were doing and and have the legalities of what we have, so that the, even to the even to the to the day, those records are in soundtracks and movies and films and television programs and all kinds of stuff, and and that stuff is legal and clear. Yeah, there's a bunch of them, you know, talking about all the stuff there. And there's a bunch of them in video games too. Exactly. Uh, a a exactly. bunch of little public enemy tracks and uh, I think GTA 3 and GTA like, oh. Vice City or something like that. Or, uh, did you ever get a chance to play any video games and hear your work in it? I've never, I've, you know something, that's the one thing I've never had time for. Hank, but, I'm going to buy you a PlayStation 2 at an old game store and I'm going <laughs> to ship it to your house with a copy of GTA, listen, play, GTA 2 or whatever it is. Listen, my 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 son and daughter both bought the just bought the new PlayStations now. The PlayStation Five. Yeah, so oh, they, they got they it. got them both. They got them both, and, and so I I'm I'm in inda- I'm inundated with it. I just don't I just don't have the time. All right, yeah. that's the difference. All right, but the but the thing the thing that the thing that I that I look that I say is this: I always want to make sure that as a musician, you should have you should have a lot of control over your your works. And so if you're going to sample, make sure that you clear it in advance. If not, I would find a way around that. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the only way that I, could, that I could deal with that. Because as you can see, with, with the, the case that happened with Pharrell and... Um, 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 oh, uh, Robin Thicke? Uh, help me. Robin Thicke. Yeah, for right. uh, uh, everybody get up. What if, um, the, blur, the, blurred lines. Exactly. And, and that ruling was, was, was atrocious, but it showed you that if you don't take care of your business, then that stuff can bite you. And so they, so that record cost them, uh, cost them a grip more than they, than, 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 than they probably made off the record. And it's I feel for those guys. They shouldn't, because juries just a lot of the time don't know the specific laws. Cause you know, a jury is just random people. They don't know musical you know terminology and what to listen for so it's really it's re- it's a really subject sub- subjective part of the law in terms of you know sampling and copyright law cuz you know people don't know what to listen for cuz that's not what they do on a regular basis but but also Scott you got to also understand that a lot of these laws are not have not been determined yet either 
mm-hmm. at the time because there's still there's still a pro, uh, there's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Hello. I oh you Are froze. Are you there? Are you there, Hank? You froze for. Are you there? I can hear you. I just Did can't you freeze see up. It. You froze up on my end. Sure. Okay, Hank. I think it's about to come back up. Okay. You know how it is. You're, I can't. I can't stand. I, I, yeah, I, you're you're up now. I see you. So I can't. You, I, I, can't can hear you. St- I can't stand this freaking internet. I know. It's, it's terrible. It's, I try my best. I do all. I you know. I'm wired in Ethernet. No matter what I do, I always end up with some problem. But Hank, yeah. I I don't want to keep you over. So can I ask you one more quick question before you go? Sure. No problem. Okay. You've told me before. You know, we've been talking about music this whole time. Let's let's get off music for one second just to close it. I know. Oh geez, am I losing you again? Uh, son of a gun. Terrible. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. You can get it in. Get it in now. Let's do it. Yeah, I know you're a big fan of comic books, right? Yes, sir. You've told, you've told me about that. Who, who are your top five favorite comic book characters for the for everyone who's watching? Oh, God. Uh, Daredevil, Green Lantern, um, the Hulk, hey. <laughs> um, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else? Uh, gosh. Um, and Flash. The Flash. Just like the Grandmaster. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Hank, you know what? Let's... Let's do this. Let's uh, let's f off before the internet does it for us. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But uh, but but Scotty, thank you, man. I'm 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 grateful and honored to be on the vibe, man. Thank you let's, so much. I appreciate it. it. Uh, to everyone listening, thank you so much. If you want to check this out, audio version will be up on wherever you get your podcasts. Clips will be up on YouTube. You know how it is. Thank you so much for watching. I'm sorry if it cut out for the last couple minutes. Anyway, I'll see you all next time. Wow.